Amen. Good morning, everybody. I know that I say this every week, but let's give God praise for our worship team one more time. That was awesome. Wow. Holy smokes. I don't even think I need to say anything after that. I think that was the sermon right there. That was pretty, pretty awesome. We are so glad that you are here today, folks. It's been an amazing uh, few weeks around here, and that may feel a little odd uh, to say. Thank you, Mason, uh, for that. Vanna, uh, that was nice. Um, it's been an amazing few weeks, and, and that may seem a little bit out of the ordinary. I don't know, if, have you ever heard this phrase, the dog days of summer? Has anybody ever heard that phrase? One of you? Okay, I just made it up in my head, I guess. Okay, so apparently mid-August in the last few weeks that we've had are supposed to be the dog days of summer where dogs typically get lazy and lay around in the sun and don't do anything and get a little lazy and apathetic. And so I guess that's what we're supposed to do as well because it's hot and, and we're waiting for summer to be done and we're ready for the fall and all those things. And that can tend to creep into our spiritual lives as well is that we kind of, well, you know, things kind of slow down. Everybody's gone during the summer, so we'll just kind of take the summer off. Well, you did anything but that because God doesn't take the summer off. Neither do we. Amen. Uh, and that was certainly not the case uh, around here. This is just the last month and a half. Okay. Just the last six to eight weeks uh, of what's gone on uh, around here. Over 150 kids. We welcomed them in for vacation Bible school and had kind of a, a midsummer uh, revival here as well. We've had new life groups starting during the summer. Not quitting or taking time off, but starting during the summer. Uh, you may not know this. We've had volunteers uh, every week of the summer the past few months going to uh, a local assisted living facility here in Des Moines and doing Bible study uh, with the elderly and those that are a little bit farther on uh, on their journey. Dozens of you help serve breakfast every single week. Any Breakfast Club fans out there? Any Breakfast Club fans? Okay, awesome. Uh, doing that uh, every single week. Get this. I don't know if anything can top this. Last week we had our uh, we literally went down to the river to pray uh, and baptize, and uh, we had 26 people get baptized last weekend. So how cool is that? Pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we assembled uh, over 200 backpacks full of school supplies for four local elementary schools, uh, as well as uh, today, you'll notice uh, some of my friends are over here uh, packaging meals because... Well, they just, they just love serving, and they can't get enough of it. So uh, they sing, and they package meals, and it's amazing. Coming up later this week, uh, our friends at Meals from the Heartland are doing their big annual hunger fight down at Hy-Vee Hall, and their goal is to package over 5 million meals. It's going to be uh, awesome. A couple of you may want to may look at these. Check that out. There we go. This is why you have to stay alert uh, during the sermon, because you never know when something might be coming your way. Good snag. That's right. So those meals that I just threw out, those feed a family of eight, believe it or not, and that's what they're assembling. So they're putting all of those uh, materials uh, together, and this is what you can do uh, down at Hy-Vee Hall. This actually started about a decade ago uh, when some folks at Hope actually had this crazy idea. Let's package a million meals in 40 days, in the 40 days uh, of Lent. And you can pass those around if you want to, just get a look at them. But, um, and so it kind of spun off from there, and it became its own nonprofit, and they've done millions and millions, over 25 million meals now. Uh, and it's just been an amazing thing uh, to see. And the reason we're doing that is to remind you about the, the event coming up uh, kind of over Labor Day weekend down at Hy-Vee Hall. Anybody can come. It's a great thing to do for families to serve together. But also a visible, tangible reminder that maybe church is not simply about our nice little worship service, all as nice as it may be. It's also about bringing the hope of Jesus 
to a world that is hurting and to a city that is hurting right here in Des Moines. That's kind of the, the heartbeat of our series that we're in right now, our sermon series called Hope for Iowa. Uh, and uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll kind of see the, the license plate uh, there. No, you cannot get that for your license plate. It's, it's taken. Uh, but uh, that's kind of our idea of what does it look like. Last week we talked about to bring the hope of Jesus into our schools and our classrooms for teachers and students. This week we're talking about what does it look like to be uh, hope for the city? What does it look like to bring hope to our communities? In fact, because uh, hope is a, a larger church that God just kind of planted us here and here we go and we have these campuses and there's a lot of new people coming in. A lot of you are new and maybe you're checking things out. We get the question a lot. What are you guys all about? What is this big mega church all about? What is hope all about? And, and, and specifically when we decided to plant a campus here in the city, oh man, I got dozens and dozens of questions from people. What is hope going to be like in the city? I mean, you're this big church from the suburbs, and now you're coming downtown. Like, what is that going to be? And on top of that, there's a lot of different ideas that people have about what it looks like to be an urban church. What does it look like to be a church that's, that's in the city, and, and, and what does that look like? And a lot of churches have tried different things, and there's various approaches that you see, depending on what your church background is might be. And so there's a few different ideas around this and philosophies. One is that you see some churches that are simply a church in the city. They're physically, geographically located there, but because they're not in, engaging with anybody outside the walls of the church, they're just, it kind of rarely extends out there. They're not effectively engaged with anybody else. They're just kind of, we're here and we're going to kind of do our own thing. We don't really pay attention to what's going on, the needs around us. The second option is to be a church that's against the city. And oftentimes as Christians, we can kind of develop this defensive posture uh, against culture because we know that the culture is bad and evil and dark. And we read about all the bad things happening out there and all the people that we're against and all the people that have different political or social beliefs that we do. And they're, they're out there and we're in here. And so what ends up happening, unfortunately, is we kind of become this little holy huddle and we just kind of hole up in here, and so we're just going to kind of point the finger of critique and judgment and say, bad people out there, all the good people in here, humorous, uh, and we're just going to kind of do our own thing in here. Well, that doesn't necessarily work. And so sometimes churches will swing to the other end. Instead of being against the city and against the culture, we'll say, we're just going to blend in. We're going to be a church of the city. And so we're just going to try to be as hip and cool and trendy as we can possibly be as a church. And that'll kind of be our calling card. And people will come because we're the hippest church in town. And folks, let me tell you, that's not going to work because we tried that. And I'm just not that cool. We're, now, Chris is really cool. But all the rest of us, we're just not that cool. So that can't, be our, that can't be our thing. That can't be our calling card. And unfortunately, none of those three options are biblical. So what if there was a fourth way? What if there was a different way? And to find that out, I want you to hop with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to start there today, actually, and that's in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, it's going to be kind of in the first third of your Bible, Jeremiah, Isaiah, kind of in that prophet section. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. This may seem like an odd place to start, but it kind of hits the nail on the head. When we arrive on the scene here in Jeremiah, God's people are in exile in Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. If you are a Jew, if you are an Israelite, you don't want to be in Babylon. This would be like a Hawkeye fan like myself building a house in the middle of Ames. Like you don't want to, you don't want to go there. You don't want to be there. These are not your people. And so they are in exile in Babylon. They're in a city that's not their own. And they, it is dark and it is broken and there is sin and there is evil. Kind of sounds a lot like our world today, doesn't it? 
So not that much different. The Bible is so incredibly relevant if you'll just give it a chance and apply it to your life. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, God delivers this startling challenge. And you would think that God would come to them and say, guys, I know you're not, I know your life isn't ideal right now. I know you're not where you want to be. So just hunker down and and just become this holy huddle. Don't talk to anybody. Don't do anything. Just, Just wait and just kind of survive. And then I'll bring you back home to Jerusalem. That's not what God says. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, God says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then I love it. My favorite verse, verse 7. Let's read it nice and loud together up on the screen. This is what God says. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Stay and put your roots down in the city. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Stay and put your roots down in the city. God says, uh, as new and, and unknown as this might be for some of you that are in a transition time in your life, Jesus says, I want you to put your roots down and however long you're going to be in the circumstances that you're in in your life right now, I want you to pour into your little corner of the world like you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Because you do know that life is one continuous transition after another. And if you are waiting for the perfect and ideal time to put your faith into action, it's never going to happen. Be a church for the city. That's the fourth option. That's what God calls us to. Be my people, raise family, and most importantly, work for the good of the city. Even pray for the city. And that includes people in the city that believe the opposite thing that you do. They don't look like you or talk like you or act like you or live where you do or have different political or social beliefs than you do, different faith backgrounds. Love them. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Be a church that's for the city, that's working for the spiritual and social well-being of the city, all the while never compromising the message, never compromising our beliefs. Because here's the thing. Nothing will ever be more hip or cool or relevant than the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's our calling card. That's what we're about. Because here's the thing. We can't just be a church in the city because Jesus didn't wait for us to come to him, he went to us, right? We can't be a church against the city because here's the thing. It's really hard to love people that you're against. And that includes social media. And that includes the things that you think in your mind and in your heart about people that you never say. And Jesus says that's just as dangerous to your spiritual life as it is actually saying it out loud or typing it on a computer. You can't love people that you're against. Be a church for the city. And being for people does not mean that we have to agree with them or believe the same things that they do. Jesus was for people because Jesus loves people. And we ask Jesus, who should I love and for how long? Jesus emphatically responds, as our scripture reading you heard today, those that are poor and those that need clothes and those that are hungry. How, How long should I love people, God? It's so hard. Ministry is so hard. Being a church in the city is so hard. How long should I love people? Who should I love? Jesus says, everybody always. Everybody, always, including the people that you have nothing in common with. Everybody, 
always. In fact, 10 years ago, I remember this distinctly. I remember this meeting. We were sitting in one of our leaders' living room, living rooms when we were first starting the church, and we were having a missions team meeting and deciding how are we going to be a church that engaged the neighborhood around us as a church. And in one of our readings, this question came up, and I think about it almost every week. And I evaluate what we're doing as a church up against this question. And it was this. If your church went away, if Hope Des Moines disappeared off the face of the earth tomorrow, just poof, gone. Like Star Trek stuff, boom, gone. Like it was never here. Would anybody miss it? Predominantly the people that are not worshiping regularly. Would the people outside these walls, particularly those that want nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with the church, would they weep? And that that might be some sort of litmus test as to how we're engaged with the people outside these walls. So how do we do that? How how do we become a church that's for the city? Would anybody miss us? Would would people that have been blessed by us, would they miss us? How exactly do we do that? Well, we get a pretty good clue, actually, from how does it look like to be a church for the city from the very first church. So you've got your finger there in Jeremiah 29. Flip over to the New Testament now. We're doing some good old-fashioned Bible study today. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to go next. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to discover what does it look like to be a church for the city, for the city. Acts chapter 2. So this is, uh, Jesus has come back from the dead. The early church has started. There's signs and wonders going on, and this is a great description of the early church. If somebody were to write a memoir about us, I would hope it would sound something like this. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day, everybody say every day. Every day day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they're selling their possessions. They're serving those in need. They have a great reputation with outsiders, aka people that want nothing to do with the church. And more and more people wanted to join the movement every single day. To me, that sounds like being a church for the city. That sounds like being a part of a movement that I want to be a part of. So how do we be a church that's making a tangible difference in the lives of those around us and being a a beacon of hope? Well, I believe that we see in this passage is three main things. So say it with me. Number one, it's a people that connect. Everybody say connect. Connect. Number two, that grow. Everybody say grow. Grow. And last but not least, a people that serve. Everybody say serve. serve. So connect, grow, and serve. And if those words sound familiar to you, they should because they're on the giant banners in our lobby that you walk past every single week. Connect, grow, and serve. It's who we're called to be as a church. So number one, connect. Everybody say connect. Connect. I've got my good old-fashioned desk lamp over here. It's prop day here at Hope Des Moines, I guess. Uh, And uh, here's the thing about lamps. They're not any good unless they're connected, right? They're not any good unless they're plugged in, unless they're connected to the source. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. A lot of us are walking around. We've never plugged in. We've never connected anywhere. Listen again to verse 46 there if you've got your finger in Acts 2. Every day, say every day, day. they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Like worship, 
Like every day, some of you are like, man, it's hard to get here for an hour once a week on Sunday morning, right? Every day. And I often wondered, why did they make weekly worship such a priority? Why was this such a, a big deal for them? And then it kind of hit me this week as I was digging into this. If they are going to go change the world, which Jesus called them to do, they can't do that on their own. They know that they needed to be plugged in to the power source, to the, to the Holy Spirit, because if you're on mission the whole week is what it means to be the church. The church is not a building, right? The church is you, the people. If you're on mission all week, you got to come in and get charged up on a regular basis. I mean, if, if weekly worship is just like a, like a ritual or something good, religious thing for you to do to put in your time, well, yeah, then show up a couple times a month or once a month or whenever it works in your schedule. But if you're on mission during the week, you can't do what Jesus has called you to do, and you can't be who Jesus is calling you to be alone, isolated. You've got to connect. You've got to plug into the power source, and not just once a week, but they do this in all of life. Look back at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. I don't know about you, and this is just how my mind works. It's weird. I'm a third-generation pastor's kid, and so I just like, my head is just full of these churchy words, so maybe some of you, when you hear fellowship, different things go through your mind. What comes to my mind is, did anybody grow up in a church that had like a church basement, like a fellowship hall? Yeah, ours is up in the loft, but most of them are down. And all I remember, when I hear the word fellowship, I think of green shag carpet. I think of that fuzzy orange wallpaper. Anybody remember that from the 70s, right? Fuzzy orange wallpaper. And I think of really bad Lutheran coffee and surface level conversations, Okay. Anybody else? That's just what comes to mind. Like, let's, yeah, let, let's go have some fellowship. And we've created this dichotomy in our minds that real relationships are out there. You know, the people that I, that I, that I go to the bars with or that I go out to eat with or the people that I hang out with on Friday night or Saturday night. And then I come to church on Sunday morning and people ask, how are you? And you have your coffee. You're like, great. Everything's awesome. See ya. I love you so much. I'll probably never see you again, Right? We've created this reality in our minds that we can't have real relationships in the church. Fellowship. That's not what it says in the early church. That word for fellowship here in Acts 2 is koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. koinonia. They connected so much. That word koinonia is interchangeable with the word intimacy, or it can also mean a pledge of loyalty. Like as comrades. Like kind of like a war military term, like a pledge of loyalty, like we're linking arms. And I get that picture of the early church saying, we're not playing church here. We're linking arms because this is a life or death mission that we're on and we're going to do this together. I mean, this is worth rearranging my schedule for. It's that sort of thing. Koinonia, this intimacy with each other. And here's the thing. Some of you are walking around like this. Why don't, I, why don't I have any power in my life? Why is my life just kind of stuck and boring and dull and, and mundane? I, I read about these stories in the Bible, the Holy Spirit flowing through people. Why doesn't that happen in my life? I'm just an ordinary Christian. Because you're not plugged in. Nobody knows you. You're not plugged into the source. You're not, you're not in a group. You're not worshiping on a regular basis. You just kind of show up once in a while. And I will tell you this, the urgent will always get in the way of the important. Whatever it is in your schedule. Some of you are living the disconnected life and it's time to let yourself be known. I, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to be, I try to be vulnerable on a regular basis, but I'm going to be really vulnerable with you here this morning. I experienced 
koinonia this past week. It was a really, really, really hard week for myself and our family a couple weeks ago for a variety of reasons. You just have one of those, anybody ever had one of those weeks where you're just like, geez, God, make it stop, right? Um, several care situations, people that we're really close with here came up that are either sick or got a terrible diagnosis, did a funeral for a newborn baby. And on top of that all, there's just some things that happen to you in your life and you just start to get kind of discouraged sometimes. Does anybody ever, even like as, as a parent or as a spouse, a, a mom or dad or in your job or as a friend, you ever just have one of those feelings of like, am I doing anything right? Has anybody ever felt that? Okay, three of you. Great. Uh, we'll get together after this for our support group. But um, I just had one of those weeks of like, God, am I making any impact on anybody? Like, and I don't mean this to be a pity party. I'm just being honest with you. Like, pastors have these weeks. Like, this is hard. And you're just carrying all of that. And I will tell you this. Three, that was two weeks ago. Three different times. So I prayed about it because that's good to do. Three different times this past week. One was a men's leadership meeting that I had. Another one was a gathering of all of our life group leaders. Another one, I was just having lunch with a guy. All, I didn't request anything. Every single one of them said, John, not Pastor John, because pastors are just people, right? They said, John, how are you doing? And then they actually listened. They took the time to listen with me and cry a little bit. And then all three of them said, can I pray for you about that? And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to have it together and pray for you, right? Like, no, can I, can I pray for you? And the words that God gave them to pray over me was exactly what I needed to hear. That love and that encouragement. You know that to, to encourage somebody means to just literally to put courage in. And I needed some courage last week. I need some encouragement. I needed some lifting up. And I got to experience that koinonia. And I think about this lamp and I go, man, thank God that I'm plugged in. Not with tons of people, but I'm close with some people in our church here, in the church. I don't have to go outside for real in-depth relationships, in the church. And I just say, thank God that I'm plugged in. And guys, some of you have heard us talk about this men's kickoff that we're doing this next week. I just feel like telling you this. I'm going to go, number one, because it's going to be a ton of fun. And number two, because I need it. Because I need it. Because I don't want to live a shallow life. And that goes for men and women alike. I'm going to go because I need it. And here's the thing, men and women alike. Real Christian community is something that you don't realize how thirsty you are for until you experience it. And some of you are parched. Some of you come every week and you sit down, and you take it in, and you consume it, and then you get up and you leave. And nobody knows you, and you don't know anybody, and you're not willing to take that step and say, I'm actually going to commit to a group of people. And you are thirsty. You are parched for real relationships. Plug in and connect. That's how we be a church for the city. We've got to take care of ourselves first. Secondly, we connect, and then we grow. Everybody say grow. 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 Back to the prop area uh, over here. So my wife and I had a plant in here and well, it didn't make it. This is dirt. So there's some, uh, see, we're not the greatest uh, gardeners in the world, but there's some seeds left over in some of these, uh, some of these little pods. And here's the thing. Oh, there's one right there. 
Seeds don't grow unless they're planted, right? You can't just be a seed and hang out over here and wonder why I'm not growing. You also can't be a seed and just stay on the surface, right? You've got to be planted. You've got to put your roots down. And that's what we see again back to Acts chapter 2. It says the believers in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals and to prayer. So they studied God's word daily. They prayed for each other consistently. Why? So I could fill out some blanks on a Bible study or say I went to my small group for the week? No. Do you want to know why they were so hungry for God's word? Is because they were out every week sharing their faith with their neighbors. They were praying for people. They were laying hands. Yes, ordinary people, healing people, reaching their neighbors, serving, healing the sick, doing all those things that we heard in our scripture reading for today. And what they realized was, I've got to study God's word. I am so hungry for Bible study because it's going to make me most effective for mission. And if I'm going to love people like Jesus loves, I can't just study my Bible once a month. I can't just crack open my Bible once a week at worship. I've got to pour into this. And here's the thing. Just like a seed, just like something planted in the ground, if you don't have a plan to grow in your faith, you're not going to grow. If you don't have a plan, you're not going to grow. So what's your plan to grow? You've heard us talk about Alpha. You've heard us talk about Core, Financial Peace University to get your finances in line with God. What is your plan to grow this fall? You might not know how thirsty you are for growth. And I get it. Some of you are like, geez, John, take this class, join this group, da 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 And I know I can say all that to a room full of busy people with full schedules already. And I get it. Mine is too, but here's what I know. And here's what I've discovered personally, not just as your pastor, but personally. Plants don't grow, seeds don't grow because they're busy. Seeds grow because they're planted. Because they abide. They put their roots down in God's word and in community with other people. And the same truth is true of people. We don't grow because we're busy. We grow when we're planted. And it's time for some of you to put your roots down. The older I get, and there's some weeks and months like this, and I hate it, I get weary of living a life that's a mile wide of commitments and an inch deep on faith. And some of you, your lives are a mile wide of busy commitments. And there's no depth. Don't you want to be a person of depth? that has substance in your life. And I know it, I feel it when I get that, when I'm abiding in God's word, I'm like, yes, I'm getting the nutrients of the soil. I'm pouring into God's word. And I feel that, I be a person of depth. I don't wanna just be a mile wide. To be a church that brings hope to the city, we gotta connect, we gotta grow, we gotta put our roots down. And finally, we do exactly what Jesus did. We go to people and we serve. Everybody say serve. 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 And the reason that the early church was serving those in need and clothing the naked and feeding the poor. And all of those things we heard about is because that's what had been modeled for them. During what we know as the Last Supper, Jesus gathered with his disciples, including the one that would betray him. In the middle of dinner, he gets up and he grabs a bowl and a towel with water and he starts washing their feet. The God of the universe getting down on his hands and knees and doing the task that was designated for a slave. If you ever, if any of us, including myself, ever think that we are above something, 
Read the Gospels. This is our God washing their feet. And then he says, go and do likewise. Why do we serve? Why do we package millions of meals for people that are hungry all over the world? Why do we serve breakfast to those that are hungry every single week up here? Why are people serving in the nursery and in children's ministry? Why do we have ushers and greeters and scripture readers and communion assistants? Why do we do all that? Because it makes us feel good? Well, actually, if you look around, those that serve around here have the most joy, including the people that were here hours before any of us that are making coffee. Praise God for the people that make coffee, amen? Really thankful for that, right? But we don't serve primarily because it makes us feel good. We serve primarily because we're followers of Jesus, who was the servant of all. Amen? It's who we are. And you don't stop being a servant when you take your lanyard or your blue t-shirt off. We're followers of Jesus. It's a lifestyle. It's not an event. There are, there are events to go serve individually and with your life group, but we are servants. It's what we do. And are we willing to be a church that moves past showing up once in a week to consume a sermon and get our spiritual fix for the week and move to being a church that instead of asking what's in it for me, we ask, what can I give? What if every single week when you walk through those doors, the first thing that went through your mind is not, where am I going to sit? Are my friends here? I hope the sermon's not terrible today or whatever it is. What if the first thing that went through your mind is, where's my bowl and towel? Maybe not literally, but... I'm going to wash some feet today. It's because church has never been and it will never be about me and it will never be about you. And there's many, many ways all over to do that. Some people look around and say, well, Hope's this big church and you got all these people and it's always full. I'm sure you've got it all taken care of and you don't need anybody. <sighs> we need all the help we can get, okay? I've said it once, I'll say it again. We are not a perfect church and if you're looking for a perfect church, this isn't it. These ministries happen because of people like you. And I get it. And this is where I'm going to land today. For some of you, this all feels like, wow, this is like really out of my comfort zone. John, you're, you're telling me that I've got to rearrange my schedule. I've got to make commitments and, and, and stick to it. I and try something brand new. This feels like way out of my comfort zone. Any of you ever have seen this, uh, this graphic up here? Where are you at these days? Not just in life in general, but spiritually. Where would you put yourself when it comes to connecting with others and in-depth relationships when it comes to growing and when it comes to putting your faith into action and serving. Some of you are like right there in your comfort zone and you're bored. I know that you're bored. And I pray, <laughs> I pray that God makes you antsy in your faith, that he doesn't relent until you become the person that he's created you to be. Some of you have found your sweet spot where the magic happens. It's not magic, it's the Holy Spirit. Some of you have found your niche. Some of you have found that spot. Some of you are still looking for it. But this is how we bring hope to the city. This is how we be a church for the city. As we get over ourselves, we get, when we realize it's not about us, we get out of the way and we let God do his thing. And nobody knows that better than a guy named David Bodie. Has anybody ever heard of David Bodie? If you're a Cubs fan, you've heard of David Bodie. That's right. Are there any Cubs fans out there? Okay, Awesome. So earlier I asked if anybody had issues like me, and there's three, and then we have like 17 Cubs fans. So that seems a little, I don't know, right? So this is David Bodie, and until a couple weeks ago, nobody knew who David Bodie was. But about a week ago, the Cubs were playing the Nationals, and it was this nationally televised game, Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. And here's 
uh, the, here's the situation. The Cubs were down 3-0. It's the bottom of the ninth, the last opportunity. And if you don't know anything about baseball, it's like the game's over, okay? This is their last chance. They're down to two outs. So the next out, Nationals win, game over. Mind you, the evil, godless Nationals uh, playing the Cubs. The game is basically over, okay? And the Cubs are up, and by fluke, they fill the bases, okay? So the bases are loaded. There's three runners on base, and the guy is coming up to bat, and if he hits a home run, how many runs do they get? Four. And how many runs do they need to win the game? Four. So this could be the game-tying person, okay? And the manager of the Cubs, Joe Madden, comes over in the dugout, and he hands the bat to this guy named David Bodie, who nobody's really heard of because he's been playing in the minor leagues. Uh, he got drafted a few years ago and has kind of been stumbling his way through the minor leagues. Nobody knows who he is. He just about quit baseball because he got so discouraged. And he even played here in Des Moines for the I-Cubs for a while. And then two, by fluke, two Cubs stars get hurt, and he gets called up. And here in front of 50,000 people with the game on the line, bottom of the ninth, uh, two outs, uh, the bases are loaded. Joe Madden comes over and says, you're up. What would you do besides wet yourself? Like, what would you do, right? This is, this is way out of his comfort zone. But remember, your comfort zone is here and where the magic happens, where God can use you is sometimes way over here. And he says, you're up. And if I'm David Bodie, I've got every excuse in the book to say, no, uh, you know, manager Madden, I, I don't think I could, this isn't a good time for me. You know, one of those awesome Christian phrases, this isn't a good season for me right now. Uh, you know, my, my schedule's really full. I don't think I'm prepared for this. There's probably somebody else that should bat. I just don't think it's a good time for me and my family right now. I don't think I'm ready for this. You should give the bat to somebody else. Every excuse in the book, but he doesn't do it. Instead, he says, you're up, and David Bodie grabs the bat, and I don't know if he said this, but knowing what I've read about him and researched about him this week, I'm guessing what was going through his head was this. I was made for this. I was made for this moment because I'm a baseball player, and he takes the bat, and he goes up. They're going to make a movie about this someday. Check it out. And it goes on from there. Yeah, praise God for that, absolutely. You can praise God for the Cubs. David Bodie is 25 years old. What were you doing when you were 25? Some of you are, right? <laughs> what if he never would have gotten out of his comfort zone and taken that step of faith and stepped up to the plate? He would have missed the opportunity to bring hope to an entire city. And that is our mission as well, though it's far more important than winning a baseball game. It's to change people's lives for eternity. And the best part is David Bodie was doing that long before that. And you might think, oh my word, that's probably the pinnacle of his life, right? The, the, the pinnacle of his career. Until you realize three years ago, David Bodie was in Tanzania on a mission trip. When he got drafted by the Cubs and they didn't even call him. A friend called him and said, hey, dude, you just got drafted by the Cubs. And he's running a vacation Bible school for kids in Tanzania. Three years later, he just did that. And this is what he writes. Nothing about baseball. This is what David Bodie writes. He says with these kids, he's, in the, he's the guy that looks like he's 12 right there. <laughs> he said it was an incredible experience. One of the most eye-opening things is that we were invited to dinner by one of the locals there in Tanzania. They provided us with this incredible feast. 
He said the water there can sometimes be contaminated and tricky to drink. So the family went out and bought sodas for us. And as we were drinking them, someone said, just so you know, the sodas alone was that man's monthly wage. Bodhi said, I accidentally drank it in two minutes, and it brought tears to my eyes. For what little they had, they sacrificed a month's wages to make sure that we had the very best. They did it with such a gracious heart, he writes. It changes your perspective and how you treat people. It's like, wow, if I had that kind of courage, that kind of gratefulness, and that kind of sacrificial love and giving, it was incredible. And we see this over and over again. It is so interesting to me how the people that have the least often give the most. And I am pointing the finger right at myself, and those that have been blessed with a lot often give the least. How's your courage these days? How's your generosity? Is life about what you can get or is it about what you can give? Maybe it's time to make the leap and leave your comfort zone when it comes to your faith. And so you'll see all around you these leaders that have gathered, and if you're in the back leaders, come on up and, and go to your spot all around these banners. And when it comes to your faith this fall, I believe that God is saying to each of us, you're up. You're up. It's your turn. It's, it's time to be the church. And you're like, God, I'm just waiting for a sign. There's 14 of them all around you today, <laughs> literally, calling out to you saying, you're up. You're up. It's time to be the church. And as you look around you, all these ways to get involved, there's no way I could possibly tell you all about them. So what I'm going to attempt to do is up on the screen show you all the different ways that you can get connected, that you can connect and grow and serve literally in the next month, right away here at Hope Des Moines. And we're going to try to do it. I think I can do it in two minutes or less. Anybody want to time me? Okay, Ryan's going to time me. Okay, I may go a little bit over, but two minutes or less, don't blink. You might miss something. Here's everything that you can do. And keep in mind, those of you who are like, I went to worship this morning, and the pastor walked around during a sermon with a baseball bat. So he's serious about serving and getting involved, okay? So here we go. Ready? Let's do it. Go for it. All right, Riverside Women's Retreat. This one's for the ladies. Men, you're not invited. Uh, in a couple weeks, it's going to be awesome. Great opportunity. It's only an hour away. Ladies, book it out now. You'll grow in your faith. Next slide. Prayer study coming up in October, but we need prayer partners up here every single worship service before and after that would love to pray for people. You can get trained to do that. Next slide. Keep it going. Power Life and Ignition, our junior high and senior high ministries. Ryan's right back there. He'd love to talk with you about investing in the next generation. That's on Wednesday nights. Next slide. Financial Peace University. We talked about it. Sunday nights starts pretty soon. Ready? Go for it. Uh, community life. We have life groups, men's, women's, couples, life groups all throughout the week in the evenings and the mornings, every time, uh, week, week, uh, weekends as well. Hope Kids. We are starting Hope Kids on Saturday night in a couple weekends, starting September 8th. It's going to be awesome. Every service, Hope Kids, we need people willing to hang out and love those kids. They're not the future of the church. They're the church now. Next slide, join a team. Hospitality, that's all the folks you see in the blue shirts. It's those happy people that aren't Best Buy employees. They love to serve. Ushers, greeters, communion servers. It's easy. We'll train you. We'd love more help uh, with that. Next slide, keep it rolling. Nursery, same thing. Those little ones, we have 
tons of kids in the nursery. And Katie, our nursery coordinator, is right over there. She would love to talk with you as well. Next slide. Revive, you've heard about it. 20s and 30-somethings starting in a couple weeks. Uh, September 11th, we would love to have you there. Tuesdays at 7 o'clock, every Tuesday. Next slide, Whiz Kids, same sort of deal. Reach out to our neighborhood kids, elementary kids. It's like a week of EBS smashed into two hours every single Thursday night starting in a few weeks here. Next slide, musicians. Some of you are great singers. Some of you are, are closet musicians, and it's time to, to, to be the church and to give use your gifts for the sake of the church that we'd love to have you. Along those same veins, next slide is the production team. Our folks back there that make it all uh, happen, they would love your help. If you love Jesus and you have an index finger, you're qualified. Next slide. <laughs> Keep going. Alpha, we've already talked about it. A lot of you, this is the spot for you to start. We'd love for you to have, to have you. Next slide. Keep it going at the sea. This is our outreach to high school students on Friday nights. It's going to be awesome, creating a safe place for those high school students that are lonely and broken and hurting. You can talk to Ryan about that uh, as well. It's called At the Sea Breakfast Club. They have people that donate meals every fourth Sunday and just make it a big old family deal up there. We'd love for you to help. Dozens of ways to help with Breakfast Club. Val's in the back back there. Next slide, the care team. We've got people that go and visit in hospitals and people's homes and write care cards for people and call them when they're sick or broken and hurting. A great opportunity for those of you that are introverts like me. All right, uh, next slide. Core, we've already talked about it. A great next step to grow in your faith. Next slide, we have a creative arts team. People, whatever your talent is, they're going to have an open studio, believe it or not, which I believe is the next slide. Uh, once a month on Thursday nights, you can bring your own stuff and work on it together and build community with other artists and painters and writers, all sorts of people in the community. Facilities and grounds team, we have a beautiful facility and grounds here. We'd love to take care of it. If you're a handyman or like to do landscaping, we'd love to have your help and you can volunteer to serve. Next slide, assisted living outreach team. We talked about that. You can talk to the folks in the back about that and it's going and serving those that are a little bit farther on in their journey. We'd love you to help. And I think that's it. We did it. And that's just the next month. How did we do? Praise God. Three. Three minutes. Well, there's too much going on, and that's the deal. And that's just the next month uh, right there. So let me iterate. You're up. It's time to be the church. And here's my challenge to you. Even if you don't want to join anything today, this is my challenge. I want you to go up to three or four of our leaders Look them in the eyes, shake their hand, and say thank you. Because without you, none of these ministries would exist. These are 90% volunteers standing around here just like you. And they are my heroes. Every single one of them. They are my heroes. They are being the church. And they would love for you to join them. So just go, shake their hands, meet some people instead of just rushing out of here. Go and meet some people. Find out about these ministries and take a step of faith. Folks, you're up. Go hit a home run. Go be the church. Amen? All right. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Go for it.